Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. You know, we're always looking for ways to try to grow the church or ways to try to reach more people. And quite often, we're trying all different kinds of things that really, in the end, don't have that great of an impact. You know, it's really not about how many people you could cram in a building. That's really not the objective. The point is disciple-making. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Acts. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Acts, chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, in a message titled, The Church in the Beginning. Now, here's Pastor Brian. So, here we are today in our study in the book of Acts, and I'm excited as we make our way through this book of Acts because it's really, it's the picture of the birth and the expansion of the church in the early days, but it's not just a history of what happened back then, it's also a picture for us of what God wants to do from generation to generation, and so we're looking at it from that standpoint as well. So we read now about the outcome of that outpouring of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. So remember previously, we saw how it was on the day of Pentecost. Pentecost celebrated the beginning of the harvest, how it was on that day that God poured out His Spirit, and the people that were there from all of the different nations, they gathered around to see what that phenomena was. Peter was able to tell them this is a fulfillment of Joel's prophecy. God's pouring out his spirit upon all flesh. And then, you know, Peter began to preach the gospel to them. He began to tell them about Christ who came and who suffered and died and rose again. And as Peter is preaching to them, it says that they're pierced in their hearts and they cry out, men and brethren, what must we do? And Peter calls them to repentance. And so that day, as we saw 3,000 people were added to the church. Now, this is the first time in Acts that the word church appears, and it's actually only the fourth time in the New Testament thus far that the word church appears. So, you know, we are familiar with the church, we talk about the church, and there's much that is said about the church in the pages of the New Testament, but up until this point, there's only been three other references to the church, and they all are in Matthew's gospel, and they all came from Jesus. Matthew 16, Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. And then in Matthew 18, Jesus then again referred to the church in a passage there where he references it twice. But now here, as this new day is dawning, we read that the Lord added to the church. So this This new thing that's happening is now being identified as the church. Now, remember, up until this point, for many centuries now, God's primary means of of witness for himself in the world is the people of Israel. He set them aside as a nation. He brought them out of the land of Egypt. He established a covenant with them. He did great signs and wonders among them. And, you know, gave them promises and a kingdom through David and so forth. And, and so it was through the nation 
that God was communicating to the world at large. Now that time has come to a conclusion and now there's a new means through which God is going to communicate his truth to the world and that is through this thing called the church. Now the church, the word church is the Greek word ekklesia. And this was a common word that referred to a gathering of citizens who were called out from their homes to a public place for a meeting of whatever sort, you know, maybe to discuss the policies of the community or whatever. But, but it was a group of people called out. That was the idea behind it. So the New Testament writers, they took this common word, the ecclesia, and now they applied it to the believers. And it is appropriate because the church or the in the Christian sense, the ecclesia are a gathering of believers in the Lord Jesus Christ who are the citizens of heaven, but yet are called out of the world to be worshipers and servants of the one true God. So now from this point forward, this is how that body of people will be identified as the called out ones. That's the best way to probably just summarize the meaning of the word. And so here we read, in the verses that we went over together, we read about what this group of people, this 3,000 that repented and put their faith in the Lord, we read about how they began to function in those days. And there are four fundamental things that they engaged in that we want to look at. And, And then from those four fundamental things, other things proceeded. And so that's how we want to consider it today. We want to look, first of all, at those four fundamentals, and then we want to look at what proceeded from that, what the outcome was of their engaging in those fundamentals. So the first thing that we note is that they continued steadfastly, or they devoted themselves to, is another way to read it, to the apostles' doctrine or to the apostles' teaching. The word doctrine simply means teaching. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This is what they did. So they began now to gather together regularly and to devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching is what we find in the pages of the New Testament. And of course, we could include in that, we could tack all of the scripture onto that. I mean, to put it kind of, even more simply, they devoted themselves to the study of the scriptures. They devoted themselves to an understanding of the word of God. And this is not just what they did, but this is what every successive generation of Christians is to do. So the church is to be marked by its devotion to study of and uh, application of the teaching of scripture. Now that seems to, I'm sure most of you, to be like, uh, you know, as we say, kind of like a no-brainer. Well, of course, that's what you do at church. You study the Bible, right? Well, that seems so obvious, but you know, the amazing thing is that is a fairly rare experience in churches. And all throughout the history of the church, there's been this battle to maintain a focus on scripture 
And whenever the church has veered away from a focus on scripture, it always finds itself in trouble. It always finds itself confused and compromised and weak and ineffective in a culture. Whenever the the church focuses on the scriptures, the church is strong and vibrant and impactful in the culture. So this idea of devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching, this isn't an idea that we came up with. This is the picture in the scripture of what the church is to be involved in. This is what the church is to engage in amongst ourselves. So first of all, the apostles' teaching. Secondly, the fellowship. The fellowship. That means that as God's people, we are to come together. Uh, You know, you can't live as a Christian independent of other Christians. You can't do it. You're never going to be healthy. You're never going to be strong. You're never going to be vibrant. You're never going to flourish in your life spiritually if you try to live independent of other believers. And so we see that they understood that. They engaged. They continued in the fellowship. They came together. The word is koinonia in the Greek. And the the word is a little bit hard to translate with any one English word. So here it's translated fellowship. In other places, it's translated communion, the idea of community, the idea of sharing. All of those things are, are part of this. So the picture is that they came together and they devoted themselves to the study of the scripture and to ministering to one another, to the fellowship, to the building up and the encouragement and the sharing of the gifts of God with one another. And then thirdly, it says the breaking of bread. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. Now, the breaking of bread here, I think, is a reference to what we commonly call communion or partaking in the Lord's Supper. Now, later on here in the passage, it talks about them actually having meals with one another. And that was part of what they did as well. And part of that was because of the the situation there that I'll talk about in a moment that was kind of unique to what we're reading about here. People from all over the world, they're in Jerusalem. They're there temporarily. And so some of it had an application just to them. But here, the breaking of bread we can broaden that and understand that as worship because that's what the breaking of bread is. When we have communion, when we share together in the bread and the cup, we're worshiping the Lord, right? We're giving him thanks. Oftentimes the reference is to the Eucharist. The word Eucharist, some people get a little panicked about that. It sounds so Catholic, you know, talking about the Eucharist today. The word Eucharist means giving of thanks, that's all it means. So the, the idea is that through the breaking of bread, the sharing in the Lord's supper, if you will, that was their expression of worship together. So they're studying God's word. They're in fellowship, building each other up. They're worshiping together. And then fourthly, it says that they continued in prayers. So they prayed together. They understood the importance of prayer. They were committed to prayer. They knew that they needed prayer. They knew that the world needed the intervention of God and that that was going to happen through prayer. So these are the fundamental things that 
they engaged in. And as a result of that, certain other things happened. And I want you to notice in verse 43, the very first word is then. And this is an important point because what you have are these foundational things. And for, for those Christians and those congregations who established themselves in those foundational things, then other things happen. So you see, the other things are, in a sense, a result of having a firm commitment to these fundamental things. You know, we're always looking for ways to try to grow the church or ways to try to reach more people. And quite often, we're trying all different kinds of things that really, in the end, don't have that great of an impact. You know, it's really not about how many people you can cram in a building. That's, that's really not the objective. The point is disciple-making. That's what we're called to do. We're called to make disciples of people, not just to get people to come to church. And, you know, today, I think there are a lot of people that, that miss that. You know, coming to church is what it's all about. Now, coming to church is fantastic if, as you come, you are being discipled. You're growing. You're being taught. You're being challenged. You're really having those opportunities to fellowship. You're really engaging in worship and in prayer. If that's happening, that's great. But if it's just, uh, you know, an event that people are attending, we're missing the point. But when we take those fundamentals and we root ourselves in them, there are going to be things that proceed from that. And verse 43 through the end tells us what they are. Fear came upon every soul. The word fear could be translated awe. And many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Miraculous things were going on. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So we see that there was a, a caring and a compassion and a sharing and obviously a giving as well. And then it says, so continuing with one accord, there was a unity in the temple, breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. There was a joyful atmosphere. They were praising God. They had favor with all the people. They were respected in the community. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So the main point that I want to make to us today is that if we are faithfully committed to the fundamental things, we can expect that there's going to be fruit that proceeds from it. But listen, we have to make sure that we do not see the fundamental things as just an end in themselves. And this is what inevitably often happens. We often make the mistake of thinking that the end of the Christian life is just the, the congregational gathering. That as long as I went to a Bible study, I fulfilled my duty. As long as I had some worship, I fulfilled my duty. As long as I prayed, I fulfilled my duty. And when we start to think of it like that, it's only a matter of time before everything stagnates. We have to understand that these things are the means through which we attain 
the greater goal of glorifying God and advancing the gospel. So that's the purpose behind the commitment to the fundamentals, that from our commitment to these things, God's kingdom is going to be advanced. We're going to to move forward. Over and over and over in the history of the church, the, the church has a tendency to settle into a complacency, to settle into a comfortable kind of a zone, you know, where we basically just say, hey, it's all good in here. We're, we're doing well. We're all loving Jesus and we're having a great time, but we lose sight of the world that's out there perishing. And we have to be on our guard. We have to recognize that these things are a means to the greater end. They're not an end in and of themselves. But as, as we kind of look back over these different things that are mentioned in verses 43 through 47, I want us to see the things that sort of mark the church. And so starting with the first four, what we see, number one, is that the church is a community of believers who are learning about God. Now this is, you know, think about this with me for a second. Where in the world can you go to learn about God? There's one place that God has designated for people to come and learn about him, and that is the church. The church is the pillar and the foundation of the truth, according to Paul writing to Timothy. And so this is the place, God's church is to be a place where people can come and learn about him. You know, you go to a university today, you're not really going to learn much about God. Many times you're going to or, or at least a, an attempt's going to be made to convince you that there is no God. And that's true in every facet of the culture, especially in the days that we're living in. So where can I go to find out about God? Well, the church is the place. And, and we should be recognized as a, in a sense, as a learning center. You know, Christians, by virtue of their faith in Christ, should be becoming wiser and smarter and more intelligent as time goes on, because that's what happens when the word of God takes hold in our lives. C.S. Lewis said that as a Christian, you didn't need a particular education because Christianity was an education in and of itself. And it's so true. As we take God's word and as we begin to study it and learn it, we learn about history. We learn about sociology. We learn about psychology. We learn about all of these things, but we learn about it from the right perspective. We learn about it from God's perspective. So the church is marked as a place of learning, but also it's a loving environment. That's what should be the experience of those who come in, that they are walking into an atmosphere of love. And that is with the word fellowship that we already looked at. It's a worshiping community. The church is marked by, by worshiping. We're worshiping God. You know, I often think if we can't worship God in the church, where can we worship him? And sometimes in, in certain church environments, you know, there, it can be very restrictive on, on how people express themselves in worship. Now, I do agree that, you know, we need to be careful not to to be distracting to other people through our worship. You know, maybe if I believe that I'm worshiping God by doing backflips down the front aisle or something, you know, that could be a bit of a distraction. So maybe I should not do that. <laughs> but on the other hand, 
you know, there, there are places where any kind of expression of worship is just sort of like, no, we don't do that here. And my question is, well, if we don't do that here, where do we do that? Of course, we should be able to do that within reason, a worshiping community and a praying community. So these are the four things, the, the fundamentals here, learning, loving, worshiping, praying. But now I want you to notice that there was a reverence or there was an awe. It says fear fell upon them. And the, the fear here is not a fear like you're frightened, but it's a, there was a sense of awe. You see, this was, a, this, this was something different. Now, remember, these people were gathering in the portico of the temple of Solomon. But there is something noticeably different about this group and their gathering. I mean, there's this whole temple worship thing going on. There's a priesthood and there's sacrifices and there's all of this magnificence. And yet there's no power to it. There's no, nothing awesome about it anymore because it's all just a routine. It's just a religious routine. But now with this group of people, there's something vibrant. There's something happening. And there's a sense that God is there. And this should be the case in our churches. Our churches should be a place where people sense the presence of the Lord, that there is just something different that you know when you walk in or when you, you know, even when you come on to the grounds. I pray as I cross the grounds throughout the week for different reasons. I always pray, Lord, I pray that your presence would be here so that even when people just come onto the parking lot, that they will sense that there's something different about this location. There's an awe. There was an awe among them. There was a reverence. We see that they were a powerful church in that many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. So there was supernatural activity. We've talked about this a little bit already. There's the power of God that is there doing things that are blessing people. There's healing taking place. There's miraculous kinds of things going on. And again, these are the things that should mark the church. These are the kinds of things that were happening then. These are the kinds of things that should mark a church. We also see that they were generous, that they were caring. And again, we, we see here where they they were together. They had all things in common. They sold their possessions and goods. They divided them among all as anyone had need. Now, now let me just say a quick word here. This particular thing right here was necessary for the circumstance that they found themselves in. In other words, this isn't something that is transferable to every church throughout history. Join Pastor Brian and Cheryl in the studio as they share about this month's resource. So, Brian, we're offering a book from our good friend, Charlie Campbell. Yes, Charlie Campbell is the director of Always Be Ready, which is an apologetics ministry. And one we recommend a lot. Yeah, we recommend it a lot. And this is a one-minute answer to skeptics. Now, Charlie has done this book, and this is like a revised version 
answering 50 of the top objections and questions, kind of current things. You know, things change over time. There are different arguments and things. And what I like about this book is it's it's an updated current addressing a lot of the things that people are kind of throwing out there today as their objections to Christianity. And some of the topics that Charlie covers in this is why doesn't God just appear to us in a public setting and prove he exists? Or the New Testament authors, did they steal details of Jesus' life story from other ancient religions? This is what some skeptics say. Or that the God of the Old Testament commanded the Israelites to commit genocide. Or that the Bible condoned slavery. So these are real issues in our society today. And Charlie tells you a biblical answer for these things. And it's great. Yep. So... Great little one-minute answer to Skeptics by Charlie Campbell. That's our offer for this month. Again, this month's resource is a book titled One-Minute Answers to Skeptics by Charlie Campbell. You can order the book One-Minute Answers to Skeptics by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it, and then click on the Donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book One Minute Answers to Skeptics by Charlie Campbell to help equip you to defend the faith. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together the Songs of the Saints. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.